surgeons keep our hearts beating. They do the amazing, help save lives, and so can you. Your CSL Plasma donation can help create 24 critical life-saving medicines that can give Grandpa the chance for his heart to swell when he meets his new grandson or give a bride the chance for her heart to skip a beat on her wedding day. Every plasma donation helps more than you know. Do the amazing. Help save lives. Donate today at your local CSL Plasma Center and be rewarded for your generosity. Hello and welcome to Let's Talk About It. I am your host, Taylor, and today we're talking some more sex, guys. And I'm really excited to chat about some more of this stuff with you all. And I know from previous episodes, it seems like you guys had a lot of questions related to sex. So today in this episode, I'm definitely going to answer some of your questions about how to increase libido, about ethical non-monogamy, aka consensual non-monogamy, talking about things like advice for starting to use sex toys, um, and also my guest for this episode is a marriage and family therapist. And so we'll be discussing how to even become a sex therapist with her. Um, And I'm also kind of in my own process of becoming a sex therapist, um, being certified in sex therapy. So I'll share a little bit of that with you guys as well. And just to tell you a little bit more about our guest, uh, we have been Instagram friends for a while and she's a uh, marriage and family therapist, um, Colby, and she practices out of Philly. Uh, She does individual couples and sex therapy. Uh, When it comes to individual work, she's doing things around LGBTQAI and other issues, depression, anxiety, assertiveness coping skills, interpersonal and family relationships, trauma and recovery and body image. And when it comes to couples therapy, she can work on things like communication and conflict resolution, healing after infidelity, loss of connection and intimacy, exploring non-monogamy like polyamory, swinging or open relationships, etc. Separation, divorce and co-parenting peaceful decoupling, also known as conscious uncoupling, uh, mismatched sex drives, which we will get into in this episode. Uh, And then when it comes to sex therapy, um, some of the issues that she works on are kink and BDSM fetishes, mismatched sex drive again, erectile dysfunction, premature ejaculation, lack of desire, pain during sex, uh, sexual addiction and sexual compulsivity, um, performance anxiety, and one of my favorite words, shame, uh, which is so prevalent when we talk about sex and which is part of why I think you guys have so many questions about sex um, and wanting want me to cover it because I think a lot of the conversation and the dialogue around sex is either shame-filled or it doesn't happen because there's shame. <laughs> so uh, I'm really excited to break through some of that shame related to sex and uh, get get chatting about some of these issues. Um, so without any further ado, we can start chatting with Colby now. So Colby, thank you so much for chatting with me today and coming on the show. 
Hi, Taylor. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I'm really excited. I love anytime I get the chance to talk with another professional on here and get kind of personal and just learn a little bit more about, you know, your experience um, professionally and personally. So I was hoping you could kind of start us off with just kind of walking us through some of your journey as to, you know, how you got here, what kind of schooling you decided to take and what kind of led you to be a, a marriage and family therapist. Yeah, those are always good questions. Mm -hmm. It's uh, kind of funny for me. I I always joke that I fell into it, which is not something I recommend. You you definitely (laughs) shouldn't fall into this career, but I look at it as definitely a positive that I'm very lucky and grateful Mm -hmm. and privileged that I found it when I did. I originally wanted to be a surgeon. And in the same round that I was deciding whether to enter med school or take a year off, I like did a rolling deadline, ended up in my program that I graduated from, which is what I'm so lucky to have. So I went, I went to a marriage and family therapy program because mm-hmm. I knew I wanted to work directly with people as quickly as I could. I wanted to enjoy school, but I really wanted to get out into practice. Mm-hmm. Um, and from what research I did at the time, trying to learn about what the difference is between MFTs, uh, social workers, licensed mm-hmm. professional counselors, all the different titles yeah. was that MFTs really could get out there and work clinically the, the quickest in terms mm-hmm. of like a private practice setting, especially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I went for that. Yeah. I chose a program that specialized in sex therapy because that's what I knew I wanted to specialize in. Mm-hmm. And there are not too many of those programs. Yeah. How did you know that sex therapy was something you wanted to specialize in? I just knew, you know, mm-hmm. like I just it wasn't about like being unique or cool just for the sake of it, but I knew I just didn't want to do the average therapy or what we know to be therapy in the standard sense. Mm -hmm. I knew I wanted to take it a step further, specialize in something, but definitely in in sexuality. It's something that we just don't talk about enough. And I've always, for many reasons, which, you know, it's too long of a story for right now, but Mm -hmm. I've always felt very comfortable talking about it. Yeah. Um, Even from a young age, even when it was uncomfortable, I was still uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. in a weird way. And I joke about it now. I say like, let's get comfortable with discomfort. Mm -hmm. Yep. Totally. I I love that about it. Yeah. What do you think made you so comfortable talking about sex at such a young age? Was that something that like your family kind of, you just grew up around that kind of openness around uncomfortable conversations? I I want to give my family some credit, but no. but Yeah. They weren't sex, they weren't like really openly sex negative, but they Mm -hmm. weren't really sex positive. I didn't get like great sex education from them. It wasn't like a super open dialogue. Um, We're we're all shamed in Mm -hmm. subtle ways and my family is no different uh, in that sense. But I think I experienced a lot. I think I repressed a lot from my early age without even realizing it. And so Mm -hmm. I knew what it felt like to be stigmatized without even talking about it. And so I just immediately didn't want anyone else to feel that way. Mm -hmm. Um, So I guess I approached it head on. Yeah. That's always been sort of how I approach life. Yeah. Yeah. Just that kind of like, I'm going to bulldoze through this shame (laughs) and I'm going to just take this on. Um, I, I I would say I had similar, I mean, my, my parents were, no less, you know, open about talking about sex than the rest of society. But I was always so TMI with everything. Like anytime I would 
make out with someone, mm-hmm. I'd be like, mom, I made out with this person. <laughs> Anytime, yes. like if I would get like fingered even, I'd be like, mom, is this normal? Like when you get fingered and she'd be like, Taylor, too much information, yes. too much information. <laughs> oh, I love that. No such thing. I always yeah. think no such thing as TMI whenever someone does it to me. Yes. I would always attribute it to watching 16 and pregnant. Um, cause mm-hmm. I was probably like 14, 15 when that came out and my mom and I would watch it together. And then, you know, I would talk to her about all my sex stuff and I'd say, well, mom, you know, this is how I'm going to break the cycle of everyone being pregnant at 20 in our family. Like I'm going to have to talk about these things. (laughs) There you go. Yes. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely had some 16 and pregnant in my family as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was it was weird that I was always viewed as like snobby or I was the weird one for being like interested in education. Mm -hmm. And maybe I talked a little bit differently. I never thought I did. I I definitely talked pretty casual, but I guess compared to them, I was very snooty. Yeah. Yeah. I'm no stranger to um, using words that I think are really normal and then being called snooty and condescending for them. So I feel you there. (laughs) We get Uh, used to that for sure. Yes, definitely. Um, And I'm curious what the, like what specific program you actually went to. Um, I'm assuming this was on the East Coast. Yeah. Yes. uh, Philadelphia is where I'm based and that is where I went to school. It's Thomas Jefferson University. Okay. Um, I always kind of uh, follow that up with Council for Relationships because that's really Mm -hmm. where the training happens. I mean, certainly the university is legitimate in its own right, but uh, really a lot of the professors, a lot of people that started this program really came from the Council for Relationships, which is Mm -hmm. uh, a very old organization that was kind of like the home of family therapy back in the, as early as the thirties, I think. Hmm, okay. So it's been around a while and they've really like expanded over the years and they joined with Jefferson about 10 years ago to create this program. Oh, wow. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. It's interesting being in Philly too, because Widener is the other school over there. Okay. Uh, they're not competitors in any sense because they are different, but mm-hmm. to have two big, well-known like sex therapy kind of programs in the same city is interesting or same yeah. state. Yeah. I wish, I wish that I had looked into that more when I was applying to different grad schools. Um, I just kind of went for like the umbrella of things, just doing mental health counseling that I felt like, Mm -hmm. oh, you know, yeah, if I want to do couples work, I can still do couples work. If I want to do something more clinical, I can do something more clinical. Um, but like at my heart and at my gut, I'm like, yeah, like doing sex therapy. Um, All right. So it's time for a short break, but I also just want to say that this short break is super, super relevant to everything we're talking about today. And then I find super important and I could really go off on a whole rant about. Um, Nowadays, you know, we talk about self-care and it's it's the thing now. (laughs) Like everyone is focused on self-care, but are we ever actually really talking about like women's pleasure as a form of self-care? I think female masturbation has been so stigmatized and I think it is so important to emphasize how amazing this form of self-care can be. And I really want to help you guys out and share this resource with you guys. So I want you guys to check out Plus One. Um, I've tried several of their toys and... I want to say one of my favorites is the air pulsing arouser. Um, it's basically just like shoots out a bunch of little air on you and uh, helps stimulate your clit. And it is amazing. Um, I love several of their toys, but this one in particular um, is just 
really fantastic. And I want to share, you know, yes, I'm talking about self-love here, but that there are actually some legitimate benefits to masturbation. Um, when you orgasm, it releases dopamine, which is a chemical associated with pleasure. Um, it helps you feel good and puts you in a better mood. It helps like release anxiety. Um, in addition, the hormone oxytocin, which is released during orgasm, uh, helps lower cortisol levels. And cortisol is a main stress hormone. Therefore, masturbation to orgasm can help reduce stress. So, Honestly, this is a form of uh, of self love that I highly encourage. We practice as women. Um, you can discover what you like, uh, see what feels good, and love yourself first. Uh, you don't have to have a partner to be able to enjoy yourself and you know orgasm or touch yourself. Um, so, really hope you guys check them out. You can go to myplusone.com um, and check out their toys. Many of them are fully waterproof. They come with rechargeable lithium ion batteries. Um, it provides hours of fun and they're super easy to clean. So one of my favorites again is the air pulsing arouser that I hope you guys check out and plan a little date night for yourself, ladies, because it is exciting and honestly very needed. So again, check them out at myplusone.com and now we can get back to the show. So your program, it was specific to sex therapy. So when you graduated, then you were already kind of like um, a certified sex therapist. So certification for sex therapy through ASEC, which okay. just stands for the American Association for Sexuality Educators, Counselors, and Therapists. Yes. Long name, so yes. we call it ASEC. Mm-hmm. Uh, the certification for that is actually very long and yeah. strenuous, but the program did... Uh, check a lot of the boxes that prepares mm-hmm. for the end result of that. So I am still working towards ASEC uh, yeah. licensure, which takes forever. And I'm not in a huge rush because I'm still yes. a valid sex therapist without it. Yes. But, yes. But I it helps. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's yeah. a lot of like gatekeeping with organizations like that. Mm-hmm. And there's good and bad to gatekeeping. You know, we want people to be held accountable and to have these boards, but it also is a big limiter for a lot of people that also deserve to be in this field. Totally. So. Yeah, I I have heard that the ASEC certification is very, very lengthy and very, very strict. Uh, Takes a while to get. (laughs) Expensive, Mm -hmm. yes, all the things. Um, I'm looking at getting certified, uh, well, not necessarily fully certified, um, but getting training through the Sexual Health Alliance. Um, I've taken a training with them and it went really well and... They don't d- provide supervision or any of that kind of stuff yet, but basically all the training and education prepares you for a sex certification. So um, after their program, I would I could be a, um, a certified sex therapist because I'm already a psychotherapist. Uh, so then I would just have that training, but mm-hmm. um, to be a sex certified, yeah, okay. I'm like that would be a whole other whole other ball game to enter into. <laughs> Right, right. Yeah. yeah, and there definitely are lots of like sex therapy training certificate mm-hmm. programs yeah. um, that are really awesome. And for, you know, depending on what you really want to do with your entire career, that's often all you need. Yeah. Um, so it's really just mm-hmm. a choice. And if you're already working towards it, just by inherently like with the work you're doing, why not? Which is yeah. really where I'm at with ASECT. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, so I was happy just to get built in sex therapy training versus yeah. like you're saying, like a lot of people go after that like initial more general like Mm -hmm. masters or phd program yeah where did you go to school 
Uh, so I did Stevenson University in Baltimore County, and then that was for just a bachelor's in psych with a minor in human services. And then I went to Hopkins in the city um, for a master's in clinical mental health counseling. Huh, okay. Yeah. How did you? How did you like? Uh, I liked it a lot. It was. I mean, I was so young doing that program, and it. I grew so much throughout it, uh, not only as a professional, but personally as well. And one of my favorite things yeah. about the program was, um, A, the fact that they didn't require that I take the GRE. <laughs> just when, yes. I, when I was looking at, for di- at different schools and stuff, I was just like, this seems so silly that I would have to take the GRE to be a therapist. Okay. Like, what what does this actually have to do with the field I'm going into? Um, and... They were KCREP accredited, which helps give me um, hours post-graduation, which was really helpful. Um, And just the amount of support that was in the program. I mean, just all around great professors, great resources with it throughout the city. Um, So I really enjoyed the program. Um, And part of me is like, I want to just go back to school and be in another program like that because it was just... (laughs) It was such a good time. <laughs> like all the I definitely think about that. Yeah. Yeah, like all the um one of the things that I loved about the program is that so much of the work is your own kind of self-reflection. Um Exactly. And I feel like, you know, when you go and do a maybe an MBA or something like that, it's a little less personal and it's more like skills-based and um you know, for me, it was just so important that they had this emphasis on like getting to know your triggers, getting to know your blind spots um, and all of these mm-hmm. things. Cause it was like, yeah, this is really important going into the field of work that we're in. And it's the kind of work that I love doing. I love working on that personal growth and, and that reflection. So that piece to me was like, grad school's awesome. <laughs> right. Yes. It's hard, but it's, it's so awesome. Mm-hmm. And that, I think that is like the number one thing about a therapy graduate program. Like we have to work on ourselves. Mm-hmm. We have to do that. That is the, I had friends that were so jealous. Like you're not even really doing anything. Like you're just talking. You're yeah. just talking about yourselves. I'm like, that is work. Yeah. It's serious work. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, we have to be, it's, it's interesting because we're often preaching, like we don't have to be perfect to be therapists. Yes. That is for sure. But we also do need to be doing certain work. It's not about mm-hmm. the end result, I guess, per, per day, but but that we're doing the work constantly and checking in with ourselves. Totally. And that I think too is a large part of why I'm drawn to the career itself because long-term, I mean, throughout life, a strong value of mine is always learning and always reflecting and always finding areas of growth. And when you're a therapist, you're always learning from your clients. Mm -hmm. You're always reflecting on yourself. So it's just like a lifelong, you know, journey of reflection. (laughs) Which I th- yes. I think is super exciting and and awesome. Um, certainly not for everyone, but you know I would rather for me I'd rather do that kind of emotional work than be like you know doing someone's taxes or like crunching numbers like that's that gives me a headache. <laughs> so I want to get a little bit into um, kind of 
what you do as a sex therapist. Um, I covered a little bit kind of in the intro, just some of the different issues and problems that people can come to you with. But um, people were curious kind of why they would go to a sex therapist, like what kinds of things they would work on. Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, That's a good question. So a lot of sex therapists do a lot of the traditional sex therapy work that we think of, like sexual pain, erectile dysfunction, uh, mismatched uh, desire in couples, Mm -hmm. low libido in either men or women or Mm -hmm. or neither. Um, Those are sort of some of the things we hear about often. With what I do, a lot of people come to me more for a demographic reason than an issue reason, which basically means I specialize in working with um, like quit people, kinky people, non-monogamous or poly people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they might need help with those things. That definitely is a portion of my caseload. But sometimes it just means that they want a therapist that understands all of that, mm-hmm. both not to judge them, but also so that they don't spend their time and money explaining and teaching their therapist about these things. Yeah. Um, so I definitely see a combination of, of all of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, um, the whole not having to explain piece, because I think most therapists have a, you know, kind of the basic understanding of of doing work around sex. But I think that there are still a lot of therapists that like get very uncomfortable discussing sex with their clients. And oftentimes their clients are uncomfortable talking about sex. Um, I've had clients in the past, you know, especially... For me, being a young person, when I did work with um, people who were in their 40s and 50s, we would still discuss sex, but I could tell for them there were parts of it that they felt like, you know, am I going to understand some of these things? Are they going to have to kind of teach me some Mm -hmm. of these things that, that they've grown interested in over time? And I always did my best to make sure that it was an open, honest conversation and doing my own kind of work outside of that to make sure that they weren't feeling like they had to educate me on these things, but that we were kind of in the same boat. Right. Yeah. That's awesome to be able to just make sure you're doing the work outside of it and communicating like mm-hmm. what your limits are. Cause we, none of us are going to know everything and that's totally fine. We can mm-hmm. refer out worst case scenario. We can also just consult with each other about certain topics. There are definitely things that I don't know a lot about that intersect with things I do know lots about. Yeah. Um, so navigating that can be interesting at times. Yeah. All right. So I want to take a short break here. I want to talk about something that I know might not really be on your mind, but and or maybe it's something you've procrastinated. Um, it wasn't really on my mind a ton, but as I think about it, I am such a planner and I'm really happy that I've got this done now. So I really want you guys to check out trustandwill.com. It's estate planning that is completely simplified. It takes 10 minutes. It's all online. They have people available to instantly answer questions and seriously, it is so easy. You can do it for your family, do it for your loved ones. Guardianships start at $39, wills at $69, and trusts at $399. And right now, I want to help you guys out with doing this. You can take 10% off by going to trustandwill.com slash Taylor or entering promo code Taylor at trustandwill.com. Again, that's take 10% off by going to trustandwill.com slash Taylor or entering promo code Taylor at trustandwill.com. I hope you guys check that out and can get a little bit of peace of mind. But for now, we can get on back to the show. 
When you say uh, kink, can you maybe just touch a little bit on that as to what kind of things would be considered kink or what kinds of things um, Mm -hmm. you would work with people on related to that? Yeah. So kink is really just an umbrella term for anything related to BDSM, anything not really vanilla, as we say. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it could be that someone has a fetish or a kink that they want to explore. Uh, Like recently, I've had quite a few like middle-aged to older men that have been carrying around this fetish for years and years and years and never told anyone and just now are deciding to explore it mm-hmm. um, or it's, it's caused issues in their life in really indirect ways that they had no idea it mm-hmm. really came back to that yeah. um, so it could be an exploration it could be someone just needing to be understood when they say that they want to be slapped around and that's not why they're coming to therapy you know they mm-hmm. don't need to be rescued yeah. that is their that is what they're into. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's definitely a spectrum there. It, it can also just be help navigating uh, like the negotiation process that happens within the kink community mm-hmm. um, and, and being able to talk about consent and your interest in a safe and sexy way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, trying to figure out what other people are into, what their boundaries are, communicating all of that, I think is, can definitely feel like tricky waters for people. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. So then are you finding that people are coming to you solo and trying to navigate how to have those conversations with other people or that they are bringing in some of their partners and trying to have those conversations? Yeah, I think I definitely see both within all these different subtopics that I talk about. Mm-hmm. I think with kink right now, at least I have a lot more individuals that are doing the work on their own and we might be talking about their relationships mm-hmm. or their sexual connections, but not always bringing them in. They certainly can. Yeah. I'm certainly happy to do that work as well. Mm-hmm. It really just depends on the situation. Yeah. Yeah. One of the, um, one of the questions that I actually got uh, was someone saying, I'm naturally very kinky during sex, but my boyfriend isn't. How do I get him to act along with me? I imagine that's something that you've had to <laughs> cover along this topic in sessions. Yeah. So it's interesting too. So there's people maybe that what I could gather from just that one line mm-hmm. that are, are kinky and have these interests, but they're not like deep in the community. They're yeah. not like super upfront and open about it when they're mm-hmm. starting to date someone. Mm-hmm. And that can be a, a totally different way to navigate it than someone who's like truly like a lifestyle kinky person. Yes. Both are super valid. doesn't matter which end of the spectrum you're on, but it is a different communication process. Mm-hmm. So with, with that question, I would say just sit down and talk about it outside of sex, not during, yeah. at least not at first. <laughs> yes. Um, definitely later, but just sharing like, here are my interests, you mm-hmm. know, depending on that, that partner, if, you know, he's versed or not versed in any of this, you might end up having to explain some of it. And I always say, as long as you're not explaining why you like it, but more so like what pleasure you get from it or whatever you get from it Hmm. so that you're not justifying, you don't have to justify anything Hmm. in terms of kink, but someone might need a little bit of help understanding what it's about for you, which is Hmm. I think totally okay. Yeah. That's such a good point. I I don't think I would have thought of that, of explaining to your partner what you get out of it, Mm -hmm. like why that brings you pleasure. Yeah. And sometimes we don't know. That's fine too. Um, But sometimes we do. Mm -hmm. I get 
especially with a little bit more what people might uh, think of as extreme things or more serious kinky things. I get the question a lot about like, well, is this rooted in trauma? Mm-hmm. Like, is this coming from a place of hurt? And my mm-hmm. answer is always like, I, you know, it doesn't really matter, especially when they're asking in a clinical setting. Like if that's my client's goal is to look at yeah. that connection, of course we'll do that, but I'm not going to take it there yeah. because it's not going to change what validity it has today in their life. Mm-hmm. If it is coming from a place of trauma or not. Yeah. Can you give an example of like what kind of a kink or fetish someone would or has kind of questioned that about? Uh, Anything from like wanting to be choked or slapped to the more extreme end of people that do like rape play Mm -hmm. or non-consensual or consensual non-consent. Yes. Yes. So that is a little bit more tricky, but but seriously, even down to the slapping and choking, people are like, why would anyone want that? And it comes mm. from a place of ignorance or, or shame or stigma. Mm-hmm. So I understand the question a little bit, but it's also, mm-hmm. we don't need a reason. It just, you might like it because it feels good. You might like the power exchange. There's yes. a lot to it. Yeah. And that's something like I've, I've definitely discussed um, in the past on the pod just about the consensual, non-consensual forced sex fantasies Mm -hmm. and also playing that out. So when they step outside of being a fantasy um, and people, especially women really struggling with this idea of feeling I'm a feminist, you know, I really like, I believe I am a strong independent woman and I want to support women being strong, but this really turns me on. And I feel like something might be wrong with me because I feel that, Um, but that I think you brought up a great point that sometimes it is just that power play, um, that switch up of that power mm-hmm. play that can turn people on. And, and I think a lot of work can be done to take away the shame. Talking about like being a strong, independent, powerful woman, you, you are that mm-hmm. if you're enjoying or acting something like that out, you're in control. Totally. It's not right. It's not forced. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a scene that you've negotiated and consented to. Mm-hmm. Very true. Very true. How, um, how, if you were to give kind of like an example or a, um, you know, uh, a story of how someone has, or could kind of walk through this, um, of feeling like they're interested in this kind of, um, dynamic, but haven't actually played it out yet with their partner, um, of what, kinds of things they could say to kind of start up that conversation so that it is consensual, non-consensual forced sex and doesn't, and feels like something that they still have control over. Yeah. I think that would take just a lot of conversations. If, um, kink is not something that they are already really a part of and have an understanding of, I would definitely recommend professional help having that conversation, mm-hmm. uh, just because it, it really depends. There's so much that goes into it. I think, just keeping consent in mind, really like having a safe word, having mm-hmm. built in check-ins during the scene yeah. that you're planning, like mm-hmm. timed built in where you're not even using your safe word. You're just checking in to see how it's going. Yeah. Um, are some just, you know, tips off the top of my head for that, but really getting some mm-hmm. help around it is, is helpful. Yeah. No, I think that discussing the kind of safe words and putting those built-in check-ins during is such a good way to like touch base with each other. And again, building more of those tools around having sex positive dialogue and getting more comfortable with talking about these things that sometimes feel really uncomfortable with our partner. But 
that ultimately provide greater connection for everyone. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Um, Yes. All right. So it's time for a quick little break here. I want to share with our lovely listeners, one of my favorite products that I wear, and you guys have probably seen it in some of my photos on Instagram. absolutely love wearing like nice, dainty jewelry, but I want to make sure it's good quality and I don't want it to be ridiculously expensive. And I want it to also like be ethically made. Uh, that's very important to me. So I'm really excited to share with you guys or rate. Um, I have a infinity bar necklace from them that is just absolutely adorable. I get so many compliments when I wear it. Um, And like I said, it's ethically made um, in New York City. So they help empower women uh, with the best jewelry options without sacrificing style. And so for every piece sold, a child in need receives a book to further their education. It's like... Amazing. Um, honestly, it was for it was made by women for women, which I super appreciate. Uh, Got to support my women ran companies. And personally, I love my necklace. I would highly recommend it. When people ask me, I'm always like, "Oh yeah, it's by Orate. Like you should definitely check them out and and use my code if you want to." Um, so I want to offer this code to you guys. You can get 15% off your first Orate purchase. Go to OrateNewYork.com/Taylor and use promo code Taylor. Uh, again, that's A U R A T E newyork.com slash Taylor for for 15% off your first purchase. uh, Use promo code Taylor. So I hope you guys enjoy and let me know what your jewelry looks like. Tag me in it. Show me what you guys got. Um, So yeah, enjoy that and we can kind of get back to the show now. So I want to get a little bit into like as we just kind of touched on about like the conversation piece that people can start having. Um, so much of the questions that I received and I've noticed it's kind of like a pattern, like this, every time I ask about people and the, what, whatever kind of sex questions they have, mm-hmm. majority of what I get is women saying that, um, that they are struggling with sex drive. So, you know, I'll go through and read a few of these, uh, questions here, but they all are kind of along this line. Um, How to handle it when you and your partner have different sex drives. How do I get out of my head when my boyfriend and I are being intimate? Letting your partner know you're bored. Um, How to get back a sex life when you've hit a really rough patch with your partner. Um, How to build sex drive. I love my boyfriend, but we don't have sex frequently. Um, what to do when you want less sex than most men, um, uh, being more present in the moment, uh, when your partner loves sex and you only want it occasionally, mm-hmm. low sex drive, why, how to increase mm-hmm. sex drive. My boyfriend wow. and I both have low sex drives. Is that bad? <laughs> um, how to get over body insecurity during hookup and sex, um, Girls who struggle to orgasm with their partner, uh, and, and it just kind of goes <laughs> goes on about this. Would love if yeah. you talked about ways to increase a woman's sex drive. Okay, um, there's so much uh, there. <laughs> yes, a lot. <laughs> Navigating when you and your partner have differences in sex drives, <laughs> so okay. a lot of um, struggling with sex drive. Yeah. Yeah. So let's start there. That definitely is uh, a common denominator in in a lot of those questions. Very. Oh, my gut reaction or my first reaction is just to normalize it. 
Mm-hmm. Like there's, I just can, I feel a stress just from hearing the questions. Same. Oh, Same. God, the tense, the intensity, the stress. Uh, it's fine. Like whatever your sex drive is, is fine. That said, yeah. that said, like it, it's probably not low or high. Like you're probably mm-hmm. just like, that's where you're at. Nobody lines up perfectly. Mm-hmm. So the mismatched sex drive, which I know I said was a common presenting issue in therapy, I'm labeling it that because that's how people label it. Not even because yeah. they necessarily want to think of it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Well, and then I'm curious too, like how often people think a normal quote unquote sex drive is like if, right. if, if women are actually just feeling this sense that they should want to have sex all the time. And every time their partner wants to have sex, that they should also be wanting to have sex, right. <laughs> which is right. a lot of pressure. Right. You could have the same, you know, quote unquote, the same sex drive and still not be wanting it at the same time. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think yeah. it's just, I think rejection is something that the rejection that people feel when they, when their partner doesn't want to have sex with them. Like mm-hmm. that's definitely one of the issues within wrapped in this giant thing totally. is that it doesn't have to be rejection. I obviously mm-hmm. understand where people are coming from when they say that, but yeah, we need to work on that. That can't be the response because that does mm-hmm. not create a healthy sexual communication. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we really need to focus on owning our own sexualities first and then, yeah. you know, tying them into a partnership. Um, mm-hmm. and so understanding like what helps you get in the mood if people are wanting to up their sex drive or have more interest in sex or be more yeah. open to having sex and when their partner does, sure, there mm-hmm. are ways we can do that. Yeah. Um, I think desire is something that people don't even really understand what they're saying when they say it. Mm. And arousal. We don't talk about arousal. We talk about desire, but arousal is super important too. Like the standard Mm -hmm. model for all of this is spontaneous desire, which Mm -hmm. is where I think the misinformation and the shame and the anxiety come from. Because the idea that we should just spontaneously out of the blue feel like, ooh, I want to have sex and then go find it. Yeah. (laughs) That's that's kind of rare. (laughs) Right. And usually it's hormonal for me. Right. It's totally normal to have that, but it's not the norm. Mm-hmm. So like responsive yeah. desire is really what is more of the norm, mm-hmm. especially mm-hmm. with women. And yeah. I don't often like to gender things, but that one is definitely common just more mm-hmm. on not a biological standpoint, but more so on a sociocultural standpoint. Yeah. Um, so be, especially if you have a partner, it's even easier because you can have that communication with your partner outside of the mm-hmm. moment to say like, hey, instead of just saying, do you want to have sex? Like maybe we could start doing a little bit of the things that I enjoy and see if mm-hmm. I then feel the desire. And sometimes you might, yeah. sometimes you might not. But if you have that communication yeah. built in, the, there's more comfort in saying like, well, you know, we kissed a little, we touched a little, but I don't think I really want to go further. And that can be mm-hmm. okay. Yeah. But, yeah. I think it is so hard for people to not take it personally when someone else is not interested and, or, or not, you know, aroused. Um, and I think that that can often create some resentment and some pressure and some disconnect. And then of course your sex drive is going to lower after all those things come into play. Right. Um, and right. that kind of like fuels even more of a little bit of a mm-hmm. disconnection. And I think, um, I I agree. I think part of what you said of, you know, 
talking with your partner about some of the, of the things that you like and exploring those things kind of on your own too, like mm-hmm. with yourself of, of what turns you on and what feels pleasurable. Um, I know for me, I'm like, I am most of the time totally terrified at the idea of initiating sex. Um, That for me, I'm like, nope, if someone wants to have sex, like they can initiate it (laughs) and Mm -hmm. maybe I'll say yes. (laughs) And that's so much pressure to put on your partner that I've had to like put myself in their shoes. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think, yeah, communicating those things of like, you know, I really love a good like eighth grade make out like just give me a real good make out I'll be really turned on and then I'll definitely want to have sex um and once you start communicating those things with your partner I think you're both then kind of learning different tools to turn each other on which can lead to more sex and then when you're having that Mm -hmm. better quality sex you want to increase your quantity of that sex (laughs) Yeah, that's definitely a line that I can follow. Um, but <laughs> even even if the goal isn't turning each other on or like building that, I mean, you definitely do want to build an understanding of like what turned your partner on and what mm-hmm. turns you on. That's certainly important. Yeah. But even having the comfort and safety that is built in communicating something like, I want to have a good old makeout session mm-hmm. or I really yeah. want to like sit on your lap and like grind a little with our clothes on or mm-hmm. like, Oh, I maybe, love a good dry hump. Yeah. <laughs> or like, maybe I just want you to go down on me. That's it. Yeah. And yeah. someone that's willing to do just that and not pressure you or mm-hmm. to go further or feel like you have yeah. to now reciprocate something. I have totally had this conversation in my current partnership because for me, Sometimes I just love to just like be teased and just like to have that build up. And so to Mm -hmm. me, the end goal is not necessarily sex. Mm -hmm. And I think that just that piece in and of itself is so important to discuss with your partner because for him, it's like, well, okay, yeah, like we're going to have sex. And I'm like, well, no, like we might, but I'm not making out with you with the assumption that we're going to have sex. Like sometimes I might just want to make out and fool around a little bit, but I'm not fully in the mood to have sex. Um, And that sometimes those kinds of things are okay. But I think as you get older and I think once you've had sex, that then the assumption is we're just going to continue to have sex now because none of these other things matter anymore because we've like done the ultimate kind of. Right. Oh, yes. That brings up such another like big point is that we should reframe sex a little bit more. Totally. Uh, Especially if you're having something like a low drive or Mm -hmm. you're struggling with your relationship or maybe you even have like some pain during sex. Like a lot of these issues can be really helped by reframing what sex Mm -hmm. means to you and Mm -hmm. really debunking this idea that like especially penis and vagina sex is like the the Mm -hmm. top of the hierarchy or that there even is a hierarchy. It's really harmful. Yeah. So maybe sex is making out on the couch. Like maybe Mm -hmm. sex is just oral. And so figuring Mm -hmm. out what that is for you and maybe sex for you is penis and vagina sex. That's cool too. Mm -hmm. Um, Or maybe at all is sex. That's my, that's my personal take on it. I want all of it to be sex. Um, Like, (laughs) yeah, I want to be able to say, I want to have sex and let that mean that no one can really assume that pretty much. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
All right. So I want to take a short break here. Um, and I think it's really important to clarify something here. There's a lot of talk around CBD these days. And before I start talking about hemp fusion, I want to point out something that just makes them really unique compared to a lot of the other CBD brands that are out there. And that is that hemp fusion is CBD plus a bunch of other things. So most CBD brands offer just CBD, but Hemp Fusion actually incorporates other ingredients, other natural ingredients like omegas that help specifically create products when it comes to dealing with stress or uh, trouble with sleeping or you know needing more energy. So you know we already have uh, cannabinoids. I can never say this word right, so excuse me. Um, but our bodies already have this in our system, and so when we use plant-based CBD, it just helps to naturally balance our body. So adding in these other things really just adds up to creating a better product that then hopefully, you know, ends to a better day for you. Um, and I really appreciate Hemp Fusion because they really add it all up. It's really the whole package and they're available both online and at natural product retailers near you. They ship anywhere in the U.S. And I want to help you guys out. So you can use the promo code Taylor for 20% off your first order and free shipping at hempfusion.com. That's promo code Taylor. You can get Hemp Fusion shipped anywhere in the U.S. And again, that's promo code Taylor for 20% off your first order and free shipping at hempfusion.com. So be sure to check it out. Don't forget that promo code. Get yourself a little discount there. And um, I hope that it helps out. And I hope you guys take advantage of this because I love using my CBD. (laughs) So let me know how it works out for you guys. And we can get back to the show. Um. I'm curious. We, I, I did get a few questions um, that were kind of a specific subcategory of increasing sex drive. And uh, one of those was, are there natural ways to heighten my libido while on antidepressants? Um, yeah. Can you orgasm on antidepressants? How? Hashtag help. <laughs> um, <Yeah. laughs> there was another one. SSRIs have done wonders for my anxiety, but killed my sex drive. What can I do? Mm-hmm. That's yeah. that's probably the toughest one. SSRIs are really uh, a bitch for a sex drive. Mm-hmm. Um, I I always suggest you know like make sure you're checking in with your doctor. Like make sure you need to be on that SSRI. Obviously, people do. I'm not saying you should get off of it for sex, yeah. but but really just making sure that that's not the only priority because doctors mm-hmm. often respond to us having sexual needs or that being a, ma- a major concern for medicine is like, really, I'm trying to help you. Like, that's what you're worried about. I thought yeah. you came here for anxiety. Like, not that they're maybe that <laughs> rash about yeah. it. And I'd be like, well, guess what? Sex helps with my anxiety. So <laughs> exactly. And so like making sure that that's still a priority and that's okay yeah. that it's a priority. You don't have to put anxiety or depression like on a pedestal mm-hmm. over sex. Yeah. Um, So in terms of like ways to address it, I think going back to stuff we already said, really about reframing, Mm -hmm. maybe bringing toys into the bedroom a little more, things Mm -hmm. that feel like maybe lower stakes or things that can be kind of more just here and there. They don't have to be as intense um, because maybe you still have a sex drive, but it's more fleeting or maybe Mm -hmm. it's just less often, but you really can still get there with a lot of communication, a lot of stimulation. So really just still being open to it, Mm -hmm. even if you're not feeling it in that spontaneous way that we talked about. Yeah. Uh, Especially if you have a partner, because then there's already hopefully some safety in exploring without the pressure to go forward. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And 
too, I mean, I would encourage like some things that, that, you know, that we don't see in porn, like, like lube, um, to oh kind of help with yes. things. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I think everyone should use lube no matter what. Like, yeah. even if you have a body that's producing you a lot of natural lubricant, mm-hmm. like it still can't hurt to put a little bit of lube. Yeah. Or at least to have it around just in case. Yeah. One of my rules used to be that like I literally was not having sex unless I was like dripping wet. Like unless I was like fully wet all over, mm-hmm. nothing was going like nothing was going inside. Yeah. <laughs> not until then was I ready to have sex. Right. Right. Yeah. And saliva is not lube. Let me just throw that out there. <laughs> saliva is not lube. For the people definitely in the definitely not, <laughs> definitely not. That's Thank you for saying that. <laughs> yes, I think we do see that in porn still a little bit. Um, yes. We yeah. definitely don't. See, well, some porn I watch, they definitely pull out the lube right in the scene and just squirt it on yeah. there, uh, which yeah. I think is awesome. The one thing that I mean, I've heard like several stand-up comics uh, use this kind of bit, and I don't. Th- I think maybe I've seen it once in porn where. Mm a guy like spits in her mouth and I was like, I, you know, as much as I love a good makeout and that's certainly a like exchange of saliva, that's not something I want. Yeah, yeah, it's not for me either, but it, it's definitely more uh, falls along the lines of like a power exchange thing. Like yeah. maybe even the degradation thing or humiliation thing sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. It's interesting to see it in more of the mainstream vanilla porn because I think it definitely has more of a place over here, but yeah. 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 It's just even in, in that piece right there, there's so many things I want to go into, but um, I definitely right. want to answer some more of people's questions that they totally. had. Um, and one of these that I thought, you know, I've, I've talked a little bit about consensual non-monogamy on the pod, but um this piece I have not spoken about before and okay. I, I have not encountered this with any clients or with any friends. So I'm curious what your response is to this. Um, but someone asked how to explore sexual fluidity while in a heterosexual marriage. Okay. Yeah. How to explore sexual fluidity within a heterosexual marriage. Um, so yeah. the, the question being that they, they want to open up maybe to do it. Is that, I guess, the premise here? They're not currently open? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, and it it sounds like, you know, this is a, a woman that was mm-hmm. writing um, who her follow-up question, because she put two questions. Um, the follow-up question was, have you ever used a strap-on? I would love to use it on my boyfriend because he would love it. So exploring oh. those different like female and masculinity kind of energies, but in a heterosexual marriage. And my assumption on this is that if she's saying her boyfriend would love something like that, that then it sounds like he he is open to exploring sexual fluidity. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. I yeah. haven't okay. encountered this Inter- before. Interesting. Yeah, definitely something I, I think I talk about a lot. Uh, mm-hmm. It's hard. Yeah, I have a little bit more questions, but we'll, we'll go on some assumptions. That's fine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, pegging. Yes. Pegging's great. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He sounds like she's interested. Sounds like he's interested. My question is, 
are you waiting for a recommendation on a strap on? It sounds like they're ready to go. <laughs> um, it does kind of. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I, I would say the same with everything, like really just talking about it. Like, mm-hmm. what are you excited about? What are you nervous about? And being yeah. open about those things going in and keeping them in mind, mm-hmm. having a check-in, using lots of lube. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, uh, strap yeah. on, like go together to pick it out. Uh, get, mm-hmm. if you can, if you have the money, invest in like a nice leather harness so that it's comfortable for the wearer. Um, mm-hmm. start small. Don't be, you know, you don't have to be a size queen or king from the, yeah. from the start or ever. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It was one of my, some, a little bit of background on this question. Um, last night as I was talking with, um, the, <laughs> one of the girls that helps work on the podcast with me and, um, discussing the idea of using a strap on with your partner. And, you know, it's not something I've ever experienced before, but, um, you know, that I was like, yeah, like I know that, you know, there is this kind of a myth or whatever about the guy's G spot being in their rectum, anal, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Um, where, you know, I've had boyfriends in the past who have, really enjoyed finger play, um, especially like during blowjobs and whatnot. And I think there is a lot of stigma around heterosexual men uh, being involved in any kind of uh, anal play. Um, And so it it does sound like this person's uh, heterosexual marriage has that level of openness and security Mm -hmm. and um, Mm. that it, you know, yeah, no, that's a that's a good point. That is obvious, but I, you know, forget sometimes that yeah, the assumption that yeah. you're gay if if you're a man that wants something in your butt. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. That's not how sexuality works. Uh, it's yeah. about the person who is doing whatever the thing is to you, mm-hmm. and even that is still really flexible. Yeah. Uh, you can be you can identify as heterosexual and have some sexual contact with the man, and your identity is still valid. I would, mm-hmm. I would want to encourage a little exploration because it might be rooted in shame, but it might not be. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and there is, you know, the Kinsey scale, like mm-hmm. the assumption is that we're all at least fluid on some level. Some are just choosing mm-hmm. to express it more than others. Yeah. Um, the gender unicorn, there's a few different models that all have sort of their own set of issues, but the gender unicorn is something interesting to check out that I can link to you mm-hmm. after this. Um, yeah. That kind of explores the differences between like gender identity, sexual identity, and then mm-hmm. sort of who you're romantically attracted to and how those can be different or the same hmm. in various ways. Yeah. Very interesting. I also want to recommend everyone check out the company B Vibe. They, yeah, it's specifically butt stuff. The the campaign right now that I have a few friends in, it's everyone's butts, and the idea is that everybody mm. has a butt. Yeah, everybody that is, is true. Everyone, <laughs> but also like every physical body has a butt, and so that we should be normalizing this mm-hmm. um, a lot more. Yeah, I, I mean, I feel like even girls experiencing like anal that doing anal sex is like, you know, they're total sluts and that like, oh my God, like you're like a really dirty, like kinky girl if you're into anal. Right. Um, or that you're doing it for your boyfriend. Yes. To please him. Yeah. And not to please you. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not going to lie. I've had like many girlfriends where they have really not enjoyed anal sex at all and have felt like it wasn't for them. And then I've been like, all right, 
let me talk you through this. Right. <laughs> like, let me right. give you some tips. And then they're like, oh my God, that was great. And I'm like, welcome to the club. <laughs> yes, I totally agree. I totally agree. There, this is the one thing that there is a right and wrong way to do. Mm-hmm. Other yeah. things, not so much, but this one definitely has a sort of protocol that you need to follow, especially for the mm-hmm. first time. Yes, yes. Oh, thank you back to my first time. That was not, yeah. That was a difficult one. Um, but yeah, I think there's so many, you know, there's definitely a range of what, what I got from listeners from the low sex drive to, um, the sexual fluidity to Mm -hmm. some questions around non-monogamy. Um, but another kind of like reoccurring one that was probably about, I'm so bad at numbers. Um, if the se- if the sex drive questions were at about like 80%, mm-hmm. I would say that this next one was probably at like 15%, 20% um, of people asking questions about um, exploring sex in your like mid-20s um, of if it's unhealthy to still be a virgin in your mid-20s. Um, uh, what else did they ask? I'm trying to pull it up. Uh, losing your virginity late. Um, and just several questions around losing your virginity, um, kind of as an adult and how that can be difficult. Yeah. There's no such thing as late, you know, mm-hmm. and I don't even, I, I honestly despise the terminology of, of losing virginity. There's no loss. Yeah. Um, virginity is really just like this patriarchal concept oh, yeah. uh, that does absolutely nothing for anyone. So, mm-hmm. you know, having sex for the first time at whether you're 14 or 24 is, you know, yes, it's, I'm not going to say it's the same exact experience because it's not. Yeah. You're probably a pretty different person at those different ages, but. Very. But the sex might be similar, you know, like it's still a first time doing something yeah. uh, might be just as awkward. And that is almost like a rite of passage for some people. Mm-hmm. So, um, yes. yeah, I don't think anyone's like not normal if they, mm-hmm. whether it's intentional or not, yeah. like it happens when it happens. People have their different reasons for waiting too, which, mm-hmm. you know, I think has an impact on what that experience is like for them. Definitely. Definitely. And I think... I think you're right of kind of reframing losing your virginity Mm -hmm. Um, and that so much of it is rooted in this like, you know, women being pure and waiting for that right person and that there's so much like extra pressure that's put on that. And at the same time, a lot of shame if you don't uphold that. Um, I think that can be damaging in so many ways. Mm-hmm. You, you can't win if you do. You can't win if you don't. Mm-hmm. You're either a slut or mm-hmm. a pure little angel uh, yeah. or an experience. Like you can't, you just mm-hmm. can't win. Yeah. And uh, and I think it's, um, you know, I, I did receive a few messages that were actually my DMs and not in the little question box um, around people who have grown up pretty religious um, in the South and really wanting to like combat some of these ideals around sex, but finding it so difficult to express and explore their sexuality without feeling things like shame. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think... I think that that is kind of... Whether you've grown up super religious or not, I think just the 
the whole concept of losing virginity and uh, the messages we receive around sex being women um, are, are very damaging and very rooted in, in shame that make it difficult to explore these kinds of things in a yeah. confident way. Right. Religion's a tough one too. I, I definitely am not an expert on that, like intersectionality of it all, but I just take a pretty like logic approach of like, does the mm-hmm. God that you want to worship want you to feel like this? Like, is that, yeah. does that feel okay? I, mm-hmm. it, I don't think it does. Uh, no one loves that feeling, mm-hmm. super religious or not. Um, yeah. So I think like just keeping shame in the back of your mind of like, that's what this is we have a name mm-hmm. for it. It's yeah. not just this awful feeling that you're doing something wrong. Like this is shame that has been put upon you mm-hmm. and you are in control of it and you can work through it. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, I don't know. I, I try to think back to when I lost my virginity and I remember I had just turned 15 and I remember being like, or maybe I just turned 16. I'd either just turned 15 or 16. And I remember being like, I am not having sex until I'm 18 years old because then I'm officially an adult. That I was like, I am not going to have sex as, you know, I guess I'd still be a teenager at 18. But that to me, I was like, I need to wait till right. I'm actually an adult, like well, for then, it to not be like a bad thing. Right. Legal <laughs> um, age, the, the legality yes. that we tie to sex too. I, mean, I was such a rule follower. I was like, no, like I need to be appropriate at all times. Did your parents talk to you about sex? Was there like a, a connection there? I remember my mom had asked me because when I was a freshman in high school, I had moved about a little halfway through like the first half of the year. And then I had got a boyfriend fairly soon after that. And we were hanging out a lot and whatnot. And I think at that time I was probably 14. Mm-hmm. And she asked me, you know, if I was interested in getting on birth control. And I was like, oh, mom, like, I'm not even having sex. Like, why would I need to be on the pill? She's like, well, like, just in case, you know, and I was like, yeah. we're not even there yet. And I was like, I'm waiting. And then literally it was like, a, you know, a few months later that I was like, mm-hmm. hey, um, I think I should maybe get on that pill. <laughs> And I was like, yeah, like, I think I want to do that soon. She Um, was ready before you were. Yes. Yeah. But, and I think it was, you know, sex is so vulnerable. Like, I don't think that there's anything wrong with waiting to find someone you feel safe to share that with. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's so important to just being able to actually enjoy your time, Mm -hmm. even if it's not your first time ever having sex. Mm -hmm. Um, But you know, it was very important to me that I was with someone that I loved and that I, you know, he was my first love. But it's weird because even then in my first relationship, we did get into some pretty kinky stuff. And that was all kind of like my introduction into sex. <laughs> That's amazing. That is yeah. amazing. Yeah. It's always fun to hear how people find kink as well. Because mm-hmm. uh, sometimes it's quite accidental or early and sometimes yeah. it's really intentional. Um, yeah. I think it's often pretty early just in terms of how quickly it gets to the front of the brain. Very true. Very true. I remember all the shame I had around. I mean, I still have plenty of shame, obviously, but I I had so Mm -hmm. much shame, especially around like receiving oral, which I know is a lot. A lot of women experience that. And it's Mm -hmm. so it's kind of ridiculous now to think about like I was 14, 15, like what reason 
did I have yeah. to feel that my vulva was somehow like weird mm-hmm. or bad? Like who yeah. taught me that and why? Like I was, you know, we're, we're kids still. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I feel very lucky to have had a boyfriend at that time who loved going Mm -hmm. down on me and so just through how much he loved it like I learned to love it um which Mm -hmm. I think is also something we're taught that is not good that we you know we should love ourselves in all these different ways before someone else can Mm -hmm. and that's such bullshit like that was really that was a healing experience for me Mm -hmm. Um, oh that's so beautiful I'm so glad you had that thank you yeah it just taught me like oh okay it's it's totally normal and it's fun not even just about Mm -hmm. giving me pleasure it's fun for you to do it like whoa what a crazy idea yes so yeah and I I think it's interesting when you know, I think we didn't touch a lot on uh, consensual non-monogamy, but I think, um, you know, when people start kind of exploring some of the different ways of having open relationships, I think mm-hmm. a large part of that can be can be because of differences in sexual interests and, of you know, course, one yeah. partner really loving receiving oral and their their partner not enjoying giving oral and then then they do have a partner that they can enjoy that with and they have a partner they can enjoy this with and um kind of taking some of that pressure off of like this one person fulfilling every single need i think that's yeah definitely a definitely a reason one of the main reasons that people can find nominal mm-hmm. really helpful especially open relationships yeah. versus like full-blown polyamory which is more focused around yeah. the relationship itself mm-hmm. Uh, Similar to like if we use the other assumption that we had about that previous question Mm -hmm. about the heterosexual marriage and sexual fluidity, a lot of people who identify as bisexual or not straight but land in heteropresenting marriages or relationships Mm -hmm. uh, often struggle with that idea that they're losing a part of themselves. Mm -hmm. And so that's sort of the way that I found non-monogamy for myself as an option was like I want to be able to be with many different kinds of people and it started off with gender now it's definitely not about that but Mm -hmm. that was sort of a doorway into it for me yeah and do you find are you in non-monogamy do you consider yourself poly or do you consider yourself open so I I don't like the term open for me so I don't but I also don't really identify as poly right now just because I'm single Um, I'm a widow and so I'm still figuring out what I really want because, you know, you know, you mourn a person, but you also mourn that whole future. And so I get Mm -hmm. trying to reframe it as I get a chance to sort of even another time, look at what I want and to make that happen for myself. So I definitely know that I will never be a hundred percent monogamous, but Mm -hmm. I might, I'm a cancer. So I might want to nest and get in there with someone and then figure out what I want in terms of like adding other people or not. So yes, we'll, we'll I, see. I feel that very hard Yes, yeah. <laughs> as, as a fellow cancer. Well, um, lovely. Yes. Lovely. I, I feel it very hard. Um, and so then was in your marriage, were you guys just monogamous and this is now kind of something that you've found and started exploring after that? Um, we, we were playing with it. Yeah, uh, we were definitely like what people will consider like primary partners, which is mm-hmm. not a term that everyone likes, and I yeah. I agree with that. But just in terms mm-hmm. of understanding the situation, yeah. um, we were pretty open with each other. We he was very you know focused on what made me happy, mm-hmm. which you know is complicated now, yeah. of course. So I definitely was the initiator in that sense, and I wanted yeah. what I wanted, and he would rather have had that than to lose me. Mm-hmm. 
you know, yeah. so it's, it's hard to talk about without thinking like, what would I tell a client telling me some of this? <laughs> but you know, yeah. we were, we were young and figuring it out together. Mm-hmm. So we didn't get a chance to really like full blown have um, a certain yeah. setup, but it was mm-hmm. on our minds for sure. Yeah. I'm curious if you're, if you're comfortable to kind of share a little bit about how you, you know, after experiencing something like grief, have been able to kind of get back a little in the, in the swing of things as you find yourself in a new, in a new, uh, chapter and a new transition of life. And a, a lot of some of the questions around that sex drive piece were focused on, after a breakup, getting sex drive, after experiencing sexual trauma, getting sex drive. Um, And in some form, these are kind of losses that people are experiencing. Um, Mm -hmm. Totally. So, yeah. Yeah. I'm in a whole new book, feels like. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I was was a little bit like not you know, I was a little hypersexual at first. I think I was mm-hmm. in shock and I, I love, always loved sex, yeah. um, a lot. And I guess what people will consider a high sex drive I had, um, I, I'm in a new chapter of my new book right now in not mm-hmm. having a super high sex drive, which yeah. is complicated and feels like a little bit of mourning of its own, even two and a mm-hmm. half years later. Yeah. Um, uh, but I also want to take that opportunity to normalize the fluctuations that happen, even without mm-hmm. such a big loss or transition, yeah. those fluctuations still occur uh, mm-hmm. for most people. So mm-hmm. it's tough. I think just like giving yourself compassion and yeah. checking in and like letting it be what it is, mm-hmm. is, has been my approach for the most part. Some people yeah. I think are driven more towards a, a much more active approach. Yeah. We, we all want to get shit done. We all want to be productive mm-hmm. and make things happen and be in control. Yeah. And what this whole, what that loss really taught me was that I'm not in control in a good way, in a, in yeah. a pressure relief kind of way that I can, mm-hmm. I'll handle whatever's next. I don't need to worry about it. It's not here yet, but that I know that I'm strong enough to deal with it when it comes. Yeah. Um, and so sex is one of those things that like, I'll have it when I want, I'll figure it out as we go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's I, I'm sure a difficult place to get to as you know, just having that approach overall in life, I think can be really tough because we want to seek that comfort and we want to feel like we have that sense of control. And so just kind of letting things be where they are and really having that compassion and space for ourselves to be okay with that, I think is definitely a tough place to be in. Um, I'm curious if there's, if there's anything that you've done to try to help make that process easier or I guess forms of like self-care, I suppose. Yeah. I wish, you know, sometimes I, I joke that you have to go through all the trauma I've gone through to get to this place. And, <laughs> yeah. uh, it's, it's kind of true, but I also don't want that to be the only way to get here. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I think self-care, like really putting yourself first and not thinking mm-hmm. of that as selfish. Yeah. Um, like I really worry about myself first and I don't, I have lower expectations of people, not in a, like a, I'm jaded way, yeah. but just that we're all people fucking up and being busy mm-hmm. and, uh, living our own lives. It's hard to see past our own perspective yeah. sometimes. So mm-hmm. surrounding myself with people that get that and that understand, um, this process for themselves and that can take care of themselves. People that I can trust to deal with their own shit are people Mm -hmm. that I want in my life. Yeah. 
So I, I've really stopped taking on people's crap. Like that's really the number one, I think, tangible mm. thing that I can give as yeah. a method there. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a very good one because I think especially as women, and I'm also going to go there and say, especially as like nurturing, caring cancer women, um, we we do take a lot of people's shit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. We owe no one anything other than, you know, decency and respect, you know, like, especially when it comes to dating and, oh man, that's a whole other mess. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, honestly, I had a like, quote unquote, date with this guy and it was just so much. It was so much. And he was, he really was, he was throwing a lot of shit at me that I was just like, this is not like, you need to, we just need like, I just met you. Like we need to take a step back. And he kept repeating it, you know, and was very compassionate in this way of just saying like, you don't owe me anything. Like you really don't. Like if you never want to talk to me again, if you never want to see me again, that's totally okay, Taylor. You don't know, you don't owe me anything. And that was such a hard place for me to sit with because I was like, I know I don't. And I know I could never talk to you again. And like part of me doesn't really want to. But at the same time, I, I feel that guilt and I feel like, oh, you know, you are be nice. And like, I don't think you're a bad person, but I do feel like I owe you things. I do feel like, you know, I owe you a text back. I feel like I owe you a call back. And I feel like I, I owe you uh, another hangout, you know, and just taking that step back. And like, even as he's saying it, like, you don't, you really, you really don't owe me anything. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. I know I don't, but are you sure? Because I feel like I do. And it's, it's, oh, that's, that's a tough one. Yeah. I mean, that's what we're taught. It's so ingrained. Mm-hmm. It's from an early age. Even the thing that we're hearing more about now, like you don't have to give grandma a hug, uh, mm-hmm. things like that, like consent, yeah. you know, we don't yes. owe anyone anything, especially when it comes to emotions. I'm trying to think about how to frame it right now as I'm thinking about it, but I see it in every situation. It shows up everywhere. It's mm-hmm. definitely a theme of like, well, I can't say this because it'll upset them. Yeah. Or even tying it back to sex. I was just talking to someone today who asked for some advice. Speaking of Mm -hmm. saying no and not owing people things, that one's, (laughs) I still struggle with that one because I do care and I do want to help. And so I'm always like, do I have the time? Do I have the energy? So I do check it with myself. I do, Mm -hmm. I do that much, but yeah, something that he was saying was like, I I'm, I'm having trouble coming the second time. Mm-hmm. Like if we do like a round two with sex mm-hmm. and she's getting upset, she's feeling really like offended and taking it personally. Yikes. And I was like, Oh no, that's not, that's not it. You know, like yeah. get gather my man. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this is not a client, obviously. Um, yeah. <laughs> I was like, that's, and he's like, well, I told her it's all on me. And I'm like, that's not it either. Yeah. It, it just is, you know, like you, you can have feelings about it, but like, I, look at those mm-hmm. feelings. Like, why are you feeling mm-hmm. so upset that your partner yeah. won't come? How is that mm-hmm. about you? Yeah. So really like letting our shit be our shit and mm-hmm. not making someone else's like, yes. it's not helpful for anyone. Yeah. That's a great example of it too, because I think it kind of loops back a little bit to some of what we spoke about earlier with rejection from your partner. And I think oftentimes women sometimes, and even men too, can take that as like a form of rejection. Um, and I, you know, 
I think a while back it was like National Orgasm Day or whatever. And I had a little bit of a conversation around orgasms and like, sometimes it is okay to not orgasm. Sometimes mm-hmm. you can, and sometimes you can't come and like, that's okay too. Like there is right. so much pressure on that. And, you know, I've gone through my own journey with that, that I can share at a later date, but it, um, yeah, it's, yeah. you're still able to have enjoyable sex in whatever form with a partner and it not involve everyone coming everywhere, you know? Right. Especially when partners are trying to make it about them. Like, I'm going to make you come. Like, yeah, I'm going to succeed by making you come. Like our sex is going to be good because you came. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's the pressure and the, yeah. the value that we're assigning to it. That's the problem because I do yeah. want to push the agenda of like, female pleasure needs to be prioritized mm-hmm. and what people hear is that females women need to come more and that's totally true but it's also <laughs> not about that it's about the yeah. pleasure and so pleasure mm-hmm. can be orgasm pleasure can um, be orgasm without coming it can be mm-hmm. you know there's so many different kinds of orgasm too yeah yeah and i think a big part of that is setting aside your ego mm-hmm. um, because, I mean, I was listening to like a Red Table talk the other week and Jada had talked about like how in her past relationships she thought she was showing up with love, but really it was her ego. Mm-hmm. And that like hit me like a ton of bricks. I was like, oh my God, Jada, like you're speaking to my soul here. Um, right. And I think, yeah, when it comes to like getting your partner to come, that like so much of that can be ego driven for you. Mm-hmm. And really it should be about that pleasure of, okay, is your partner actually getting aroused? Is your partner, you know, getting hard or getting wet? Like, are they right. really enjoying this and not right. about like you proving your skills? Exactly. I think that also answers one of the other questions you mentioned earlier from listeners about, um, oh shoot, I just lost it. <laughs> Damn it. Sex drive. Damn it. Oh, staying present. Staying present in the moment. Look, Mm -hmm. I just didn't stay present just now. (laughs) Um, Yeah. How to stay present in the moment. Like think about what you're bringing Mm -hmm. in and maybe you need to shift your focus. Maybe your focus is in the wrong place and that's what's keeping Mm -hmm. you not so much in the moment with sex. Yeah. And I think a lot of my guess, my assumption here on a lot of um, the women that wrote in experiencing low sex drive and not necessarily initiating sex. And there were some people that did say that, that they didn't feel confident in their bodies with sex. And so I'm kind of intertwining the two. And my right. assumption is that um, a lot of the times women struggle with being present in sex. They struggle with initiating and they struggle with mm-hmm. having that sex drive because they're not feeling good about their bodies and right. with themselves. And, you know, it's a whole out, whole other episode on like women embracing their yes. body and all the messages we get about our bodies. But um, I have so many, so many thoughts just coming. Maybe we'll have to do yes. a whole other one. <laughs> yes, I'm like this might be a two part episode now. Um, but I think the uh, getting out of your head piece is almost like a getting out of your body piece too, mm-hmm. because. Yes, a lot of the focus sexually is on like body pleasure, but I think first maybe exploring some of that on your own and like getting comfortable with your body and with your own kind of emotions and then coming with your partner um, to coming together on that could be helpful because I mean, there's definitely like I don't, I, I feel good about my body, but I 
I still feel super nervous and uncomfortable initiating sex. And that's kind of unrelated to how I feel about my body. And it's much more rooted in the rejection piece. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there's, there's a lot there. Yeah. Even having like all the information that I have, I still, uh, this is also like my largest body of my life. Uh, mm-hmm. and it's still not the largest and, and I still struggle mm-hmm. with that. I'm definitely the happiest at, at this yeah. size, which is interesting and awesome. Yeah. But I still find myself asking the questions of like, do I want to shave my legs? Do, how, oh, yeah. how do I smell? Like, mm-hmm. uh, is my stomach okay? Like sometimes I get a, a little bit of IBS stuff, like mm-hmm. all these different things that go into sex and that's, yeah. it's normal, but it also needs to be a little quieter for me. I think mm-hmm. like, I think we should all be Definitely. working towards quieting some of those things unless they're Definitely. check-ins, but these are more anxious thoughts than check-ins. So totally. And I'm curious how you've gone about the shaving, not shaving of the legs piece, because mm-hmm. I basically went most of summer without shaving my legs. And I remember I was with a guy friend and I like explicitly told him, I was like, yeah, I'm not shaving my legs all summer because I want to challenge myself to still feel sexy and still feel feminine without shaving my legs. And so I was like, yeah, I might be going out on a boat or I might be going to the beach, but like, I'm not going to shave my legs. I love that. I'm so glad you did that. That's amazing. Yeah, I spent some time with it a while back and was like, because I wasn't liking having hairy body parts and I like mm-hmm. really sat with it. Um, mm-hmm. and it brought up stuff from childhood. Like I, yeah. it's funny, like my arm hair now is completely, even though I have dark head hair mm-hmm. and everything, like my arm hair is super invisible. But as a kid, I have mm-hmm. this like vivid memory of having like black arm hair and I mm-hmm. was teased about it constantly. Yeah. Um, even when I was like even younger, just having like really ridiculous bangs, people teased mm-hmm. me. Such silly stuff nowadays. But um, mm-hmm. I was like, what impact is that having on my views now? I was like, do I, is it about feeling feminine? Because I do identify as a woman, but as a femme, which means mm-hmm. I'm feminine intentionally so and for myself, not for the male gaze. Yeah. Um, there's a lot. I of, like that. Thank you. There's a lot of mm-hmm. definitions to femme, but that is kind of the core of it, I think. Yeah. Um, so I ended up, where I've landed with body hair in general is I shave it when I feel like it and I don't mm-hmm. do it out of like necessity. Yeah. So I just, I sweat. I feel like a lot. So I do shave my armpits if, mm-hmm. unless I just forget. So yeah. it's more about allowing myself to forget and not worry about how, how someone else is going to think about it or feel about it. Totally. Um, so I do still shave, but definitely for myself now. And it's intentional rather than mm-hmm. a default. Yeah. Um, and I am a little bit envious of people that don't and can like physically feel comfortable with it. I feel emotionally yeah. comfortable with it. I just like mm-hmm. it. It just irritates me for some reason physically. So yeah, whatever. <laughs> yeah. I think the only piece that I, that I still struggle with is just with vagina hair and figuring mm-hmm. out my place of comfort there, um, which does bl- play a big part in, you know, feeling sexy and initiating sex and um, right. wanting your partner to still find you attractive and then all the things you see in porn. And like, for me, you know, I'll definitely like trim up like my bikini line and stuff before I go out on a mm-hmm. beach or something, but I will protest and I won't shave my legs. <laughs> So I'm like, I'm getting somewhere. Um, And I don't, you know, 
I've never gotten a wax. I don't ever want to. I feel like it's like mean to do. And I'm like, I feel sorry for her. I'm like, I don't want to harm you like that. Like, I'm sorry. Um, And I've definitely challenged myself to be way more comfortable having hair on my vagina. And like if someone doesn't want to hook up with me because I have hair on my vagina, then they're probably not someone I'd want to hook up with anyway. Amen. That's exactly what I was going to say if you didn't say it. Yeah. (laughs) That's like for people wanting something tangible again to like have in mind to help with Mm -hmm. this is is that. That's it. Like do you want to be with someone that's going to deny Mm -hmm. having wonderful sexy time with you because of Mm -hmm. some hair? Yeah. Yeah. You probably don't. Yeah. And I do think like the older you get, the more comfortable you get with it. And I think even for me, like I remember I had hooked up with this guy and it was our first time like fully hooking up and I was so not prepared. Like I didn't know we were going to see each other. I didn't know we were going to hook up. And (laughs) I, it was not even like a recent trim. It was like weeks without like Mm -hmm. a a check-in down there. And he was so insistent and... It ended up being a wonderful, wonderful time. Um, But afterwards, yeah, it was, I was like, oh my gosh, this is just amazing. Um, But afterwards he had made a comment of like, you know, yeah, by the way, like you were way more embarrassed about that than you needed to be. Like it didn't matter. And I was like, like, yeah, I, I know. And like, I just definitely was hesitant, you know, if this were someone I was in like a long-term partnership with, I think I would have felt a lot more comfortable. But right. even just that initial like, oh my God, this is like the first time we're hooking up and I'm like not prepared. But mm-hmm. hearing him say that afterwards, I was just, he is significantly older than me. And so part of me was like, you know, yeah, I think maybe just like as you get older, you know, people care less. Mm-hmm. And I very much appreciate that. But mm-hmm. it you know. Yeah, that's, there's a maturity to it. Mm -hmm. It sounds like you've kind of had a healing experience and I I love those. I I want to welcome everyone to have those. Mm -hmm. Uh, And you you have to be open and like lean into maybe some anxiety or discomfort to get there. Definitely Uh, a lot of leaning into discomfort. Yeah. We're always, Mm -hmm. our bodies are always ready for sex. Like there's, we, this is how we are. Like they're just natural bodies. They're ready to go. Mm -hmm. You're ready to go. Yeah. I like that because, yeah, I think as a woman, I feel like I always got to like prepare, you know? Yeah. Are, are men preparing? Maybe some, but I don't think they put nearly as much thought, nah. effort or anxiety or pressure on themselves in the ways that the nah. women do. So, yeah, definitely not. Well, there's so I like I just want to keep talking, um, but yeah. <laughs> right. we've we've gone a little over. Um and I, I just overall want to thank you and definitely should chat again about more things together. Um, but if people wanted to like find you, if they had questions for you, if someone wanted to come see you um, at your practice in Philly, where could people kind of contact you or find you or follow you? Yeah. So my website, I'm pretty easy to find. My website is colbymft.com and Colby mm-hmm. is spelled C-O-L-B-Y, like cheese, not mm-hmm. like Colby O'Brien, which <laughs> surprisingly I get a lot. Um, so colbymft.com, my social media is all pretty much the same. ColbyMFT, Instagram has an underscore, but mm-hmm. if you type in ColbyMFT anywhere, I should come up. And yes, feel free to follow me, reach out on my website, um, any of that. 
Amazing. And the one thing we didn't get to talk about too, but that you have a therapy dog and your therapy dog has a little Instagram too. I do. I have two therapy dogs. Only one goes to work with me in that therapy sense. Uh, Therapy Mm -hmm. dogs are traditionally just like the volunteer dogs you see at hospitals, like school events. Um, It just kind of worked out that I was a therapist and the one does really well in in my office setting. Mm -hmm. Uh, So Bronco, the therapy dog and Russell, the therapy dog are my my dog's Instagrams. <laughs> They're so cute. I love them. Um, well, yeah, we'll we'll have to continue our conversation in another episode um, one of these days. I would love to have you back on. Um, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today and to share everything that you did. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. I would love to come on again. I had such a wonderful time talking with you and I'm sure we there's so much we didn't even get to dive into. Definitely, definitely. <laughs> All right. Well, that does it for today's episode. Thank you guys so much for making it all the way through this episode. I really hope that you guys take away a lot from the content here today. There's so much more I want to get into talking about sex workers and um, ethical porn. And again, more non-monogamy talk. Um, Please, please, please let me know. I want to hear feedback from you guys. If these kinds of topics are things you would like me to discuss more, all the different kinds of sex we could have, different ways to explain Explore sex with your partner and with yourself individually. Um, I love these kinds of episodes. So please let me know. I need to hear feedback from you guys on what kind of things you guys are benefiting from. So shoot me an email at ask.letstalkaboutit at gmail.com. Or even better, you can leave a review on iTunes, um, whether it's just leaving a star rating or leaving a little review and letting me know what you're liking about the show or what kinds of content you appreciate on the show. Um, That would be absolutely amazing. So again, doing the podcast, I want you guys to take away things and I want this to be really helpful information for you guys. Um, These conversations are meant to be very impactful and meaningful. So if they are not having that kind of effect, then I want to change it and I want to make it impactful for you guys. So always love that feedback and um, I'll be back next week with another topic and I hope you guys have a fantastic rest of your week. Make sure to check out the episode notes to look at some of the links in there um, about the stuff we talked about in today's episode and that does it guys. So I'll talk to you next time. podcast is brought to you by wave podcast network check out all of our shows including the brain candy podcast i don't get it coffee convos and let's talk about it surgeons keep our hearts beating they do the amazing help save lives and so can you your csl plasma donation can help create 24 critical life-saving medicines that can give grandpa the chance for his heart to swell when he meets his new grandson or give a bride the chance for her heart to skip a beat on her wedding day Every plasma donation helps more than you know. Do the amazing. Help save lives. Donate today at your local CSL Plasma Center and be rewarded for your generosity.